Uh, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 10, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I urge you and invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 10. Uh, as I was praying uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout this time, I guess a couple weeks ago, Brian asked me to come and, and preach, and I said, absolutely, I would love to, I'm really excited, I want to do it, and as the week drew near, I got a little nervous. I was like, okay, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do? I've, I've never really had the opportunity and privilege of uh, preaching before a full congregation before. I've spoken before some youth and some different things. So I've never had the opportunity to do that, and I was really excited. And, man, I began to pray, okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach? All right, I'm the worship pastor, so it's got to be something about worship, right? Or it's got to be something about music. So I went to Joshua chapter 4, and I thought about uh, uh, the, the importance and role of worship and what it looks like to sing and have your children hear you and to set up stones in their lives. And just as we were singing just a minute ago, I was standing in front of uh, some of our students down here. And from the looks of it, you guys are, are teaching them just that. Man, I heard them singing out loud, and what a privilege and a blessing it was to hear that. But then I, I turned to Colossians 3, and I thought, okay, what about, what about talking about the importance of us singing together and hearing one another sing of what Christ has done in our lives and the role that that plays in the church? But uh, the Lord didn't put a piece on my heart about either one of those, and I just couldn't get off my mind in Romans. Romans, Romans, Romans. And I said, Lord, I don't want to preach that. Uh, it's a lot. It's deep. There's a lot in there. Lord, can you send me somewhere else? And he said, no, I want you to preach Romans. So I said, okay. Uh, Brian asked me Wednesday. He was like, what you preaching? I said, I'm going to Romans. And he said, so it means by the time on Tuesday when I get back, you'll be finished with the invitation, right? Uh, so I said uh, something like that. Uh, this morning, I promise I won't keep you that long. Or at least I'll try not to. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of uh, Romans. I'm, what I'm going to do for us this morning is I just began to be so burdened um, and so, uh, so excited as well just about what this text is. And, and as I thought about this morning and what can hold, um, I thought about there's a lot in here. We're going to have to kind of go a little fast. But I also want us to go slow and soak up what the Word of the Lord has to say. The Word of the Lord is living. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Man, it has the ability to penetrate our heart. Change us, grow us, help us become more like Christ. So I want us to take a moment and just pause. I'm going to read the first four verses of kind of our, our text this morning. And then I want us to pray. I want us to pray and ask that the Lord bless it. The Lord speak through me. So let's read this. Uh, Romans chapter 10. We'll, beginning in, we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, we're actually going to start in 930, but I want us to kind of look at 10. It's the heart of my message this morning. Uh, so let's begin in verse 1. I'll read, for, I'll read us. I'll read... Read it for us, and then uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. So, verse 1 says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. This is the, this is the Israelites who are speaking about, and Jews that haven't placed their faith in Christ. Is that they may be saved. For I, bear wit- for I bear them witness that they have a zeal, a passion, a drive, a desire for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this passage. God, I thank you for your word, the counsel that it gives. Father, thank you for the power of it, God, that it's, it's not dead, that's alive. It has the ability to penetrate our hearts, and God, you can change us, conform us more to the image of Christ because of it. Father, I, I can't think of anything else to say other than what your word and your gospel has to say to teach us and to grow us. 
God, you know my heart. Uh, Father, you know that I desire to lift you above all things. And God, so many times I fail in doing that. But Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would guard my tongue. Father, I pray that it would be your message this morning and not Stephen's. God, that you would move me out of the way. God, just make me your instrument and your vessel. And God, may you use this text, your word, God, to challenge us, to grow us, and help us to be conformed more into the image of your son. God, I'm so thankful for him. God, that you've sent him at just the right time to die for us and pay the penalty of our sin. Father, I pray. God, that we would exalt him in this text, God, as your word tells us to do. And Father, may your name be proclaimed this morning. I love you. I thank you for your son. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. All right, so why Romans? Why Romans? What is Romans about? Uh, Romans is written by Paul. Uh, You guys know Paul, kind of give you an overview of it. Paul is from Tarsus, but his parents are Jews, so he's a Jew as well. But he lived in Tarsus, a part of the Roman Empire. So he was a Roman by birth, but also a Roman by birth. He was also a Jew by birth. Man, this played a huge role in the way that God would use him all throughout the world. God had a plan to use him to, to preach the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles alike. And he doesn't. He becomes one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary of all time. Plants churches like crazy. This man was all about Jesus. So this is the context of Paul, and Paul is writing to the church in Rome because, number one, he wants to go see them. Uh, look with me on the screen, if you will, Romans chapter 1. Uh, this, is, this is Paul's introduction. He's just introduced himself as, as a servant of Jesus Christ. He's introduced himself as a doulos, a, a servant. Uh, I've told my band this, kind of been going through the first few verses with him in, in Romans in our time. Uh, and, I, and I've kind of laid this out, so sorry, band, you're going to get a refresher of this. Uh, but doulos, there's two types of servants in the house. There's a doulos and there's a deaconos, where we get our word deacon from. Doulos was the lowest of the low. It would be those that cleaned out the bedpans every day. It would be those that, wash, those that wash people's feet. And so here Jesus, or Paul is saying that, hey, I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a doulos. I'm the lowest of the low for Christ Jesus, that he may receive all the glory in me. He goes on to say in Romans 1, 1, that he was set apart for the gospel. That he was set apart, called to be different. Brothers and sisters, you and I are the same. We're set apart for the gospel. We're called to be different, to look different. Our lives are called to be so much more than what sometimes we make them, I make them out to be. We're to be called to be set apart for the gospel. Man, Paul lays it out. He said, I mean, this is a challenge for me, just the first few verses. How am I set apart for the gospel? How am I looking different? But then he goes on to say to, to, the, uh, to the people in Rome, in verse 8, look at me if you will. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Catch this. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Why did Paul want to come to to the church in Rome? Because he wanted to be mutually encouraged by them. Did you catch that what it said? That their faith has been proclaimed to all the world. Man, church, what if that was said of Riverbend? What if it was said that our faith was so strong that people all across our county, man, I pray that not just for Riverbend, I pray that for, for all the church in DeSoto County, Mississippi, all across the world, that people would see the church and they would see something different and they would long for that differentness, if that's a word. They would long to have that joy, have that peace. Man, what if that was said about us? How different would it be? 
just a thought for you, all right? Um, so he wants to come to them, okay, because he wants to be mutually encouraged by them because their faith has been proclaimed throughout all the world. But also, there's a tension in Rome between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews thought that salvation was because of law. Gentiles thought that salvation was just grace. And so most of Romans is about law versus grace, just like in Galatians. Paul writes to the church of Galatia the same thing, law and grace and how they go together. So that's the second thing he's writing to Romans about. But also, he's writing them, writing them because ultimately he wants to go to Spain. That's his end goal. Romans 16, he says that. That's my end goal. I want to go to Spain. We don't, we don't know whether he makes it to Spain or not. Church tradition says that he didn't, that he, was di- he died at a martyr in AD 67. Uh, but he wanted to go there, and he wanted Rome to have the same beliefs and the same faiths that he did so that they, the church in Rome, could send them out to Spain and reach that part of the world. Man, that was the furthest anybody had gone with the gospel at that point. He wanted to go and bring the message there. Why? Because he knew people needed Jesus. All right? So that's why he's writing to the church in Rome. So kind of skip up a few chapters. Um, I would walk through, but through because of time's sake, we're just going to kind of skip to chapter 9. Uh, there's a lot in there, but we'll go back to it, all right? Uh, just a brief overview, Romans 3.23. Paul, Paul lays out that, that everybody has sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he talks about sin and what sin is and how everyone in the world has sinned. And he lays that out in Romans 1. We're going to come back to that later. But he talks about how everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Literally missed the mark is what that says. Then it goes into Romans 6 and it says, For the wages of that sin is what? It's death. But praise the Lord, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we find ourselves in Romans 9. It's a quick overview, all right? Um, you've probably heard those verses all the time, but uh, that's to give you a quick overview. So Romans 9, this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about uh, the law again versus the grace. He's talking about Israelites and how the Israelites were God's chosen people from the beginning of time. But then he talks about not all real descendants of Israel were promises of the covenant. What does that mean? It means that just because you were born a Jew does not mean that you received eternal life. This was shocking news to a lot because some people didn't quite understand that. But he clarifies and says that if they did not believe in Jesus Christ, that they would not have received eternal life. So so you ask me, okay, well, well, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Same way people were saved today. They had to profess in Jesus Christ. They had to profess in the Messiah that was to come and take the penalty of their sins. How do we know this? Paul talks about it. You know, in, in Israel, they would sacrifice, uh, sacrifice these animals, uh, shed the blood for them, and uh, the priests would perform it for them. But you get to Hebrews, and we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but the writer of Hebrews says that all those sacrifices, all those offerings, and the blood that was shed pointed to Christ. Israelites did it out of obedience because God told them to, but it was because that is, it's because that sacrifice, that blood, was to ultimately picture the shed blood and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They placed their faith in Christ. They placed their faith in Messiah that was to come. It's the only way that people are saved. And we'll touch on that later, all right? Uh, so chapter 9, Paul says that no one is worthy of salvation. Isaiah says that, uh, that our sin, that our sin, your sin, my sin, has made a separation between us and God so that he cannot hear. Our sin, even one sin against a holy, infinite, perfect God has penalty that, uh, that is eternal separation from him. 
So Paul says that no one is worthy of it. God does not owe salvation to anyone because God is so holy and God is so just. You say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Send people to eternal separation? He doesn't. We are so worthy of that eternal separation from him. We are so worthy of it because we sin. We we, we deserve that death, that eternal death. But God, I love this. God and his mercy, Romans 5, 8. That he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Man. All right, so this is a lot just in the intro, okay? Uh, so chapter 9, he says, No one's worthy of salvation. God does not owe salvation to anyone. He is holy and just, and we are fully worthy of his wrath, okay? So my first point, just going to go ahead and dive in there. Salvation is not obtained by all. Whoa, that's shocking. I mean, that's, you're just going to go ahead and say it. Salvation is not obtained by all, but it's true. Salvation is not obtained by all. We're going to look at Romans 1 in just a minute. But salvation, notice I said it's not obtained. I didn't say attained. You can't work for your salvation. Salvation must be obtained. It must be given to you. Salvation is of the Lord. Old Testament says, all right? So read with me in verse 30. This is where I get this from. Verse 30 through 33. What shall we say then that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is righteousness that is by faith. So what does that mean? That Gentiles, this is talking about how Israel, they didn't, uh, in verse 31, Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Israel did everything that they can to follow the law. There are 613 commandments in just the first five books of the Old Testament. Pentateuch, all written by Moses, okay? So this is what, uh, this is what Jews would do. This is, is their custom of the day. They would wear these shawls that had these tassels that reminded them of all 613 commandments of the Old Testament. And they believed that to obtain righteousness, that you had to live out those and completely live out those. You couldn't miss a single one. So uh, there's a sect of them called Pharisees who were really kind of legalists. They wanted to work out their own salvation, obtain their own righteousness, right? So Pharisees, uh, we know that Paul was a Pharisee of a Pharisee, is what he says. Pharisees uh, were said to have known, uh, known the Old Testament so much that if you took a scroll of the whole Old Testament and you placed it on a table and you took a nail and drove it all the way through the scroll, that they would know every word that hit. Of course, that's kind of, I mean, an exaggeration, but that's pretty much how they knew it, right? Uh, most Jewish boys that grew up in the synagogue had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament by 13. Can you imagine that? 13. They had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. This is how much they, they, they relied on the law. So Pharisees would, uh, would try to keep this law, like, uh, for example, with the Sabbath. They, they were taught to keep the Sabbath holy. It's part of the Ten Commandments. So they said, okay, well, what, how do we keep it holy? Okay, well, we don't work. So here's the law. I'm going to build a box around it. So to make sure that I don't even uh, approach getting that law wrong, I'm going to build a box of not working, okay, not selling fish on that day, not going to work that day. Okay, well, uh, if I don't even want to go that far, I'm going to set a whole other box. And uh, inside of that, what, what else could be work? Work could be, uh, work could be picking up a water bottle from here to here. That's considered work, okay? Well, that's a sin. That's, that's uh, disobeying the law. This is their mindset, that they would protect themselves so much, build these boxes and layers of layers, that they would work to obtain their salvation. And Jesus comes to them and says, Oh, you hypocrites, you are so careful to clean the outside to make sure that everything is so clean, but your inside is nasty. You're like a dead tomb. Jesus says to them, because they have forgotten that 
They had forgotten the Lord of the Sabbath. They were so busy keeping the Sabbath, they had forgotten the Lord of the Sabbath. So you see, salvation is not attained by all. Romans 1, if you guys will turn with me there. Kind of keep your hand in 10. Like I said, we're going to be flopping a little bit. Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is re- revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Go down to verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. So God gave them up to the lusts. Then go to verse 28. For this reason God gave them up in dishonorable passions. Uh, Sorry, that's 26. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, this is the last thing, God gave them up to a debased mind. So you see here, the sin of progress, I mean, the progression of sin. Start out as lust. It gets deeper. You want more of it. You go to desires. You want more of it. And it becomes everything that you are. Can I tell you, brother and sister in Christ, that before you came to relationship in Christ, God pursued you. God sought you out. That even though you were an enemy of him, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God sought you out. You see, God does... God has a desire that, that all would be saved. We're gonna, so next point we'll go to in just a minute. God has a desire that all would be saved. He pursued you, brothers and sisters in Christ. He sought you out while you're still enemies of him. It leads us into our, our next point. Uh, but as we get there, I want to kind of illustrate a little bit. Um, in fourth grade, um, I had a huge desire um, to have all A's. I've always been that kind of guy. Um, I don't know why. Uh, my parents instilled it in me. My grandparents instilled it in me uh, because what they would do is for every A that I got on my report card, they would give me a donut. I've gotten a lot of A's in my lifetime, so I've got a lot of donuts here. Uh, and that's not to say anything about me, but that's, uh, uh, that's what I wanted. I wanted that so bad, okay? Um, so uh, fourth grade, I took a test, and uh, I thought I was going to do really good on it. I just kind of went and winged it. I didn't study. Um, yeah, I know. I didn't study, so I went in and winged it, all right? Um, I, took the, I, I took the exam. I got the uh, test back the next day, and the teacher said, hey, I need you to take this test home and get your parents to sign it. I said, okay, it's not a problem. Until I looked at the paper, there's a big red D on this paper. D as in the letter above F, as in you almost failed. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I can't show this to my parents. So I went home and uh, I thought I was going to show it to my parents. I laid it on the table, and I said, okay, I'm going to show this to my parents. My mom gets home, opens up the door, I hear her voice, and I said, okay, Amelia, I'm going to throw this away. I don't want her to see this. Uh, so I threw it away in the garbage can, and, uh, and that morning, uh, the next morning, I picked it up out of the garbage can, and I knew it had to be signed. So what did I do? Anybody? You signed it. That's right. So I brought it to my, to my teacher, and uh, and uh, turned it all in. At the end of the class, my teacher said, hey, Stephen, can you stay after for a little while? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you need? Um, and she said, uh, did your mom see that paper? I said, yeah, of course. Of course she saw it. Look, it's her signature right there, right? She said, well, I've seen your signatures, your mom's signatures all throughout the year. I've never known her to write her B's backwards. 
uh, I had uh, I had lied not just to my teacher but to my mom. Uh, you know, I don't think my mom's ever heard that story, but she's going to listen to the sermon and she will find out. Um, so uh, anyway, just to kind of illustrate, I mean, even from the time that we're young, we still sin. We fall short of God's purpose and calling of our life, right? Okay, so secondly, salvation is desired of all. This is Romans 10, 1 through 4, and this is where Paul really urges, all right? Chapter 10, verse 1 of Romans. We read it earlier, I'm going to read it again. Brothers, my desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, they have a, they have a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. All right, let's stop right here. This knowledge that Paul is talking about is gnosko. This is a... This is a knowledge that's not just a head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. So Paul says they knew everything about God. They knew all the Old Testament. They had it memorized by the time they were 13, the first five books of it. They knew it. They knew it by head knowledge, but they didn't have a relationship. They didn't have a gnosko, a a relational knowledge with God. And so Paul says, that I desire and I pray that they may be saved. Because right now, and they are not saved. Verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They took God's righteousness, his standard of holiness, which was perfection, and said, I can obtain perfection on my own. I can work out my own salvation by doing this, by doing that, by not going this far in the box. I can work it out. They were ignorant of it. And they said, uh, they said, I can work it out on my own. When Christ clearly said, the Lord clearly said in his word, you must know me. You must have a relationship with me. They ignored this. So this is why Paul had such huge desire and burden that they may be saved because they didn't know Christ for who he is. All right? Keep, keep it in there in 10 and turn back to Nine, just one page over in my Bible. Look in verse chap- chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, verse 1 says. My consciousness bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed. I wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says, I wish that I were accursed. I wish that I were anathema. I wish that I, would, I could have taken their penalty of sin. I wish that I could have that and they could have a relationship with Christ. This is my desire so much for them. But we know Paul couldn't do that. We know the only one that can pay the penalty for their sin was the full son of God that came to dwell among earth to be the perfect sinless sacrifice. Paul could never do that because he was never fully God, fully man. But Paul says, I wish, my desire is that, is that they would be saved and that I would be accursed for them. Brothers, sisters, do we have that desire for the lost here in Hernando and all across the world? Do we have such a passion and a desire to see them saved that we would say, Father, man, may I be accursed. Ultimately, we know you can't lose your salvation. You can't be accursed. You can't take on uh, the payment of sin. There's nothing that you could do other than preach the gospel to them, proclaim the gospel to them. But do we have such a desire? 
You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read Romans 1, 14 through 16. It says that I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Paul's talking here again. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, it is the ability of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul said, I have such a desire. I'm, I'm under such a burden. That's what really he says here. I'm under obligation. Doesn't mean it's a duty. Doesn't mean it's a, a responsibility he has to check off. He has such a passion and a drive and a desire for his fellow kinsmen in the flesh, but also for the Gentiles that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. And praise the Lord that he did, because if not, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. He had such a desire for the Gentiles. He wouldn't preach to them. And he said the only way to be saved is Christ. Do we have this desire? Are we so burdened? Are we so burdened for the lost that we would have a desire, have a burning in our souls to go take the gospel to them? Man, I pray that we do. I pray that we do. So uh, one thing that Paul says here, verse 10, says that they, they were ignorant of, ignorant of righteousness of God, that they worked out their own salvation, that it was uh, a righteousness according, not according to the knowledge, relational knowledge. Get this. Many sincere religious people, religious people, this is a commentary that I read and kind of hit me like crazy. It said, many sincere religious people are wrong in their beliefs because they're trying to work out their own salvation. They think that just going to a church every now and then and uh, not professing Christ as Lord would save them. They think it's a work-based. There's hope, though, for them. And that hope is you and me. You and I. You and me. That hope is you and me. We are that hope. We are that hope, right? We are that hope. Because we have the gospel. We have the good news. We have the truth. So the next point is this. Salvation is available to all who believe. Romans 10, 5 through 13. Let's read this together. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who, do, who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. In other words, Paul is saying that people would say, Well, well who, can, who can go to heaven? That is to completely deny that Christ took upon himself our sins at the cross. That is to deny that. But also in verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, well, who, uh, who's going to receive eternal separation from, um, from God? In other words, that's to, not, to deny Christ's resurrection. That's the belief that all will be saved. Paul corrects them. It says in verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he's, he's talking to believers here. And he's saying the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one, or with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So confessing with your mouth, this is the, uh, this is, this is the, uh, the presentation of what 
of how, we, how we're saved. It says, confess it with your mouth. And it's not, it's not the words that save you. But your words are an outward proclamation of your inward faith. That you say, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord. He's master. He's boss. He's king. You confess that he is Lord of your life. Our God is sovereign over all things. Our God is sovereign over all things. But he desires for us to have an intimate relationship with him. Confess that we are, that we are in need of him, in need of Christ, in need of grace. It says to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let me tell you this. The believer, that before you came to faith in Christ, you were a slave to something. We all are slaves. I think, Christ, uh, I think uh, Brian brought this out in his message a couple weeks ago. But it said that you are, you are slaves to something before Christ. Maybe you were slaves to that sin that so entangled you. But praise the Lord that Christ came as the good master. He came as the good master. And he said that if you would place your faith in me, you would make me Lord of your life, boss of your life, that you would acknowledge me as the good master, I will give you eternal life. You can be a slave to me, a servant of me, because I give you eternal life. Man, that's so good. That's so good. I'm the good master. You're a slave to sin, but now you can be free and alive in Christ. All right, so that makes me excited. All right, so believe. Not just his resurrection, but what resurrection signifies. Romans Romans 1 says that his resurrection proved Jesus to be the Son of God. The first, uh, I think, four verses says that um, his resurrection signified that he was the Son of God. It proved that. But also, not just that, but that God accepted his penalty for sin. So let me explain a little bit to you. Here we are. Here we are as uh, as sinners. Uh, We are fully unworthy of of eternal life. We are sinners in need of grace. Here you have the Christ, the perfect, righteous Lamb of God. In His death upon the cross, He lived a perfect life, therefore attaining righteousness. Righteousness before God. You have the Lamb of God and sinners. Well, in Christ's death upon the cross, our sins, our sins, all our guilt, all our shame, us believers that the sin that was placed upon Christ upon the cross, our sins were placed upon Christ, and Christ's righteousness was given to us. The word here is called double imputation. It's a counting term. That's a big word, I know, but mayonnaise is also a big word. All right? So, double imputation. It's that, it's that Christ's righteousness was given to us. Our sin was placed upon him. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that. That he made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that in him, in him, in Christ, we might become the what? Righteousness of God. It's a free gift. So salvation is available to all who believe. But salvation is only obtained by those who profess in his name. So our next point, rolling through. Salvation should be proclaimed to all men and women. As long as Christ has not returned, an opportunity still remains for people to turn to God in faith. As long as Christ has not returned, there is still an opportunity for people to be saved. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.16. 
Uh, 3.16. Yeah, that's right. 2 Corinthians. Or 1 first, Timothy. My bad. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 2. I was way off. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think there's words on the screen, but I'll just read them for you for time's sake. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. Paul talking again. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Verse 3 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. So what's good? That we, would, that we would have supplications and prayers and intercessions for all people, people of every nation, for kings and rulers, for everybody underneath. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who what? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Check this out. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and apostle, Paul continues to say. So it says that he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What is the testimony? What does that mean? I quoted earlier, Romans 5, 8 says that, uh, for God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we're still yet sinners, Christ died for us. This testimony of God's love for us, he loved you. He pursued you even though you were an enemy of him. I think about Luke 15 and the prodigal son. I think about how uh, the son came to the father and said, uh, Father, I want to I take all my wealth. I want to take all my inheritance and I want to spend it. And what did he do? He did just that. He went and squandered it. He gave of himself to these women that, 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 and gave himself to all these pleasures that they were so fleeting that had no eternal significance. What did he do? He gave it all away. And he gets to the lowest of the low. He, he eats with the pigs, which was attestable to him because he was a Jew. He eats with the swine. He's laying in their, in their mud sloth. Man, and what is his reaction? He keeps thinking and over and over. Oh, man, I've got to go to my father. I've sinned against him. I know I've got to confess because I have nothing else of me. There's nothing more that I can do. I am in a, in a pit beyond despair. There's no way that I can get out of it. The only way that I can, get, I can get out of this situation is if I go to my father and confess that I've sinned against him. So the son goes to the father. Man, I love this part. You know, the, the son's sitting there thinking, okay, I've got to have this whole speech prepared. Father, sin against heaven and against you. Please make me as one of your lowest servants. And the father, the father is out on the porch. The father is searching for his son. This hadn't been just a couple days. It's probably been a period of time, but the father was still on the porch knowing that his son was going to come home. He's searching for his son, pursuing his son. And what does he do? The son gets to the father and he has this, speech, this, this whole speech planned and the father interrupts him and says, then my son has come home. Kill the fattened calf. I want to place my robe on you. You were my son. You were once lost, but you are now found. Man, he claims him as, as his own. And even though he was a sinner, even though he ran away from God, the father was pursuing him. I love it. But then you have the reaction of the son. And she said, okay, the other son, the other son would say, Father, I'm, I'm, I've been with you all this time. I didn't go spend my inheritance. What is, what is up with me? Why didn't you throw a party, a fiesta for me? 
And the father says, you were here with me the whole time. All that I have is yours. Brothers, sisters, is our relation, is our, is our desire, and is our reaction. And then when someone comes to faith in Christ, and when someone places their faith in Christ, is our reaction that we are overjoyed? Or is it just another thing? Are we like the sun? We, we, we have everything. Christian, you have everything at your disposal to live a life of godliness. But also that you have everything that you need. You have everything that you need to be a bold witness and testify of how good your father is. You have everything that you need. And is our reaction to sit on the sidelines? Are we going to be in the game? In closing, I have a couple of things. I know we're kind of running late on time, and I apologize. Church, I want to tell you this. Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. Man, there are people, Brian's quoted the statistic all the time, but there's 70% of our county goes to church or doesn't go to church even, even on Christmas or Easter. That's saying something. 70% of this county does not have a relationship with them by statistics. We are plan A. There is no plan B. People, uh, this, is, uh, this is in, uh, in Romans chapter 10. Let's go back there and we'll kind of We'll kind of go here and go to one more place, but, uh, and we'll end out this morning. So Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. These are some of my favorite passages of Scripture. Some of my favorite passages, and we're going to end out here, and I know we've got to go a little faster here. But Romans 10, 14. It says this. You can, if you're not there yet, just uh, um, follow along with me. It says, How then when they call on him and who they have not believed, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here's what Paul says. Here's the order. Here's the order. The people will only call on Jesus if they believe they can do so. Well, they can only believe in Christ if they know that he exists. Well, they can only know that he exists if someone tells them, if someone proclaims to them. This word in the Greek of preaching, it's not just preaching. It's not doing what I'm doing up here today by standing up here and proclaiming a word to you. It's proclaiming the gospel. They can only know that he exists if we, the church, proclaim the message of salvation to them. And the message of salvation will not be proclaimed unless we are sent. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters of Christ, we have been sent. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's a commandment not just for his disciples, but it's for every one of us. And I tell you this, not as someone who's perfected this, not as someone who's got it right, I'm still working on this and what it looks like. But it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And look at the promise. Lo, I will be, oh, it's King James. Lo, I will be with you always. Well, that's okay, so I memorize it. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Lo, I am with you. God does not give us a command to leave us alone. He says that I command you, I'm going with you. I'm going to speak through you. We, we, we say these things like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. But let me guarantee you this. The Holy Spirit is there with you. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. Ha! The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. What do we have to speak? We have our testimony. Man, Christian. Do you remember the time that you gave your life to Christ? How joyful you were. All you have to do is talk about how Christ has saved you. 
And you say, well, I can't start a conversation with somebody. People love to talk about themselves. Let me just go and put it that way. People love to talk about, right? Am I right? All right, men. Men. What do most people like to talk about? What do most men like to talk about? I'm sorry. I'm just going over, but that's okay. What do men like to talk about? Their jobs, their work, right? Man, you start talking to people about their work. You say, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Tell me about your work. Oh, man, they get going, right? Right? Am I right, men? Women, what do you, what do you like to talk about? Children. That's right. Thank you, Robbie. Children. You talk about your family. You talk about your family. Man, you ask them about their children. You ask them about their family. Man, they'll get going. They'll get going. It's so simple to start a conversation. I don't know I'm going over, but... Um, we're kind of presenting our, uh, our vision to you, and I'm going to kind of end this out with it. Uh, one of our one points of our vision is that we would rescue the fallen. What that looks like. Isaiah 35 clearly lays out exactly what it looks like to rescue the fallen. It says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. So all these things, they turn from death to life. They turn from from dryness and wilderness to springs of water. This is what it looks like for someone who is lost to come to saving faith in Christ. And check this out. This is the reaction of the saved. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of the holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And check this out. This is the reaction. This should be our reaction as we hear someone come to faith in Christ. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. Man, Christian, brother, sister, river bend is our desire. To see people saved is our desire. It's our desire to see people saved. We have everything that we need to proclaim. Second Corinthians 5 says that you are all ministers of reconciliation. Because why? Because you have given, been given reconciliation. You've been saved. It is a duty, but it is a privilege more so. I pray, I pray that our church would be a people that makes disciples. I pray that I would be that. I've got to set the example for that for you too. I pray that we would be that. Right? You guys with me? Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've never come to know him. Have a personal relationship with him. Uh, and I desire that if you're in that situation this morning, that you would place your faith in him. And that you would come to know him as the sweet and good master that he is. He loves you. He loves you. I'm going to pray for us. Amen. Father God, I thank you so much. God, that you would send your son for us at just the right time. That God, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, I thank you. God, that you looked at us and had amazing pity, grace on us, Father. You saw that we were sinners in need of a Savior, God. You sent your Son to dwell among us, to live amongst us, to die on the cross for us.
Father, I pray that, God, our lives would be laid down in the same way. God, you called us, Father, to be fishers of men. God, you said even the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Father, following you, God, is just that. Being a Christian, being a little disciple of you is following just, is doing just that. Following you, God, wherever you lead. God, if you call us to stay here and be ministers in our own communities and be ministers in our, uh, in our own workplaces, in our families, God, may we do that. May we be obedient to you. But Father, if you call us to go to the nations, may we go. And may we say, Father, I want to go wherever you call me. I am yours. God, I am yours. All that I am is yours. Father, I pray for those who don't know you in this room this morning. God, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you. God, help them to see that you are so, so, so good. God, you alone can save. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this time. We can come hear from you. God, I pray that we would leave changed. God, all these things, Father, I ask. Your son's name. I'll be here at the front if you want to come and talk. Um, I'd love to speak more about who Jesus is to you. I'm here. I'm available. Uh, so let's stand. Let's sing these words together.